Hey everyone, this is Les Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your four and nine Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I give our DEFCON levels for this team through 13 games. We bat around ways that this team can fix its perimeter defense, and then we talk about what happens if the season doesn't turn around. Is a Blake Griffin trade in the cards for the Pistons? As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm doing good. Bad week of Pistons basketball, man. I tell you, it's it's taken some effort effort to stay positive this week. How are you? I'm doing as well as can be expected, given that they went 0-3. It's just been a... uh, Hasn't been a good sports weekend for your boy over here. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, so the Pistons went 0-3 this week. That's big yikes. They're down to 4-9, and nine, five games under five, 500, with uh, fewer than 15 games to go in the season. Is that good? No. But does that mean the season is over? Also no. You know, I'm not going to pretend like this four-slash-five-day gap uh, in between their last game on Friday and their next game on Wednesday isn't going to be extremely beneficial for this team. Uh, Casey, Dwayne Casey talked about uh, the opportunity to get like three, two or three like really good practices in uh, after the Charlotte game, which is something I think this team uh, desperately needs, especially with, with, all the, with all the injuries, with all the moving pieces, um, with all the, uh, the defensive lapses and issues that they've had over the course of the year. Like two or three really good practices is what this team definitely needs. But the esteemed Christopher Daniels, shout out to Chris, he sent out a temperature check for all of us uh, here at DBB after the Charlotte loss. So we got Code Green. He's like, not worried at all. Everything's fine. We're going to be fine. No big deal. Code Yellow, getting a little bit nervous, but we're not quite ready to panic. We got Code Red, where you're starting to panic, and the season is on the brink. And we have Code, code Brown, which is uh, we have pooped the bed, and it's time to tear it down. So what, what's your code, Ben? What, what are you feeling? Yeah, so I'm a little bit of red, a little bit of brown. Um, not a great mental image when we're talking about that. but uh, that, is, that is one ugly diaper. That's, yeah, tell me about it. Um, you know, I, I would say probably more code red, but, but with the qualifier that I don't think there's really any sense in panicking. Um, so emphasis here on the season being on the brink. You know, for me, the worst case scenario, if they stay the course this season is a losing season, right? So there's no sense in panicking because panicking could result in, you know, maybe making a move that makes you better in the short term, but ties you up long term uh, and you end up with bigger problems down the road. So let's let's throw the idea of panicking out the window. Um, But the season's definitely in trouble. I think there's still time. Like you said, the season's obviously not over. Still a very young season, but I think they've got to right the ship fairly soon here. 
there's there's a pretty small margin for error for this team as we've been talking about for several months now and they're pretty close to exhausting it right i mean five games under 500 blake griffin not even close to 100 percent um and really the issue here surprisingly has been defense right blake griffin their best offensive player we haven't even seen anything close to 100% from him, but they've got a top 10 defense. If you go to NBA.com, you'll see surprisingly the Pistons are 10th in the NBA in offensive rating, which is just startling and really pretty amazing. The flip side of that coin, though, is they've been atrocious defensively. They're a bottom five defense after being strong defensively year after year after year under Casey and, and then, of, of course, Van Gundy previously. We've seen some changes in personnel. To me, those don't really sufficiently explain what's going on here. Uh, they've really got to hit the reset button defensively, and they've got to do it soon um, because no matter how good they are offensively, they got to stop some people. They have not been able to defend anybody, uh, and until they figure that out, um, they, they could be in a lot of trouble because uh, the offense just isn't going to get much better than it's been because you know, obviously Blake's going to help some, but I think you can expect some of these other guys to maybe fall off a little bit. So, so defense is is a real problem. They've got to figure it out soon. And if they don't, this season could really be on the brink of falling apart. And like right now, I'm definitely not on board fully with the tear it down, which is the code brown, sort of this worst case scenario. But I'm not opposed to it totally either because, you know, this has been a losing team for a decade now. And when you're a franchise in that situation, you've got to be open to anything in order to get better. And that really should include moving some of your best players if you have to. And that includes Blake and Andre to me. So I'm not advocating a tear it down. I'm not out here with pit, pitchforks ready to do it. But I'm also you know, very well aware of the fact that this team is not in a very good position right now. And you can't be closed-minded and, and totally committed to anything when you're this bad. Where are you at, Laz? I, I'm code yellow. I'm I'm nervous, but I'm not quite ready to panic just yet. They have not played 20 games, and I don't think you really can uh, – you can't really panic before the season is 20 games in, before you're a quarter of the way through the season. I will say that I have noticed a lot more appetite for tearing it down than from like various corners of where I consume Pistons news. Uh, you know, a little bit of DBB, a little bit of Twitter, a little bit of Reddit, a little bit of some other places. And there's there's more appetite for, for tearing it down than I thought we would see this early in the year, at least. You know, um, uh, the other thing that, that I'll say is that if this team was, you know, 18 and 23, like, again, that's five games under 500, that'd still be really disappointing. But uh, I feel like there wouldn't be quite as many calls to to tear it down. It's just the the numbers are so small that like twice as oh my gosh twice as many losses as wins like that's really bad. But like no, this is it's very early in the year to me to to be panicking about the uh, the state of the franchise. You know, we were very excited that this team was four and six without Blake Griffin. Well, you know, four and seven now uh, technically. Um, you know, throwing the Miami game in there, you know, that now they're owing to with Blake playing, but in like, that is not a trend I expect to continue. I expect that as long as Blake Griffin is playing, this team will be, this team will win games. Um, I don't know if they'll be better than what they showed defensively. Um, I thought uh, I saw some encouraging flashes uh, against Charlotte, 
but you know those flashes need to to do more than flicker they need to be on for an entire game before we can really talk about like where this team is headed and uh and yeah so i'm i'm code yellow i'm nervous because you know this is not where i expected or wanted to be this early in the year but i still think it's a little it's a little early to uh to approach anything uh uh, resembling panic that makes any sense i mean like the one thing that has been the issue has been injuries and like injuries uh, are not something that you can predict predict but there are injuries that keep piling up for this team the newest guy that's been hurt is tony snell tony snell didn't play the second half of the charlotte game he uh he entered the game probable with a hip flexor uh and they think they he strained it during the game and so uh he's he was out for the second half with that Dr. Google says a mild hip flexor strain can take a couple weeks to to fully recover. Um, looking at other like NBA level pro athletes with you know pro uh, you know medical staffs and whatnot, uh, Nikola Jokic missed three games with another minor one in 2017. That uh, feels closer. That feels more right about what. Uh, unless you know we haven't got any news about the severity of the strain, but if it is minor, you know a couple games a, a week or two seems about right for Tony Snell. And so if Snell can't go, uh, we're going to see a little bit, we're going to see more of Svi. Svi has elevated himself in the rotation and acquitted himself well on defense. But uh, more excitingly, Ben, you think we could see Sekou Dumboya? Sekou has been really good in the G League. He's averaging 16 points, four rebounds, and a little over one assist a game, shooting 36% from three on four three-point attempts a game. But that's the G League, and he looked really bad in the preseason so so with this with this tony snell injury but uh do you think we uh we get a chance to to see seku this coming week yeah well first of all hip flexor strains sound like they're not that serious but boy do they hurt i can tell you that from experience they only get better with rest it's the only way to fix them so snell's been a little bit disappointing but really the options behind him aren't great svi you're right he's acquitted himself defensively uh hasn't been able to shoot the ball particularly well lately. Seku would certainly be exciting, right? I mean, we we are tantalized by his talent. We are excited about his athleticism. Um, certainly, from that perspective, yeah, it'd be it'd be great to see a, a rookie who we don't know a ton about come out and, and do something interesting. But you know, there's a part of me that thinks if he's been in the G League this long. Um, there's there's a good chance he needs to be in the G League and needs to stay there for a little while, um, so so I don't know I, I'm pretty I'm pretty mixed on that I think possibly the solution Coach Case ends up going with we know he's prone to be a little bit more conservative in terms of his rotations and risk taking I think maybe what we're more likely to see is some more of that small ball where you get Kennard slotted at the three but then maybe you have Bruce Bard Brown guarding the best perimeter guy whether that's one two or three. And then you've got uh, Galloway out there as well. I, I think maybe we're more likely to see that than we are Seku. Although, you know, there's certainly a, a Pistons fan part of me that wants to see the young rookie get some burn. Yeah, I I agree with you in that. I think we're going to get some more small ball. That does that does make me slightly sad. The whole point of getting Tony Snell was that we, I didn't have to suffer through that anymore. <laughs> uh, no more like two. No more uh, Luke Kennard, Wayne Ellington, Bruce Brown lineups, please. But uh, I know Wayne is still on the team. I'm just flashing back to last year. But uh, as far as Seku goes, I I thought about this a little bit. And I think it's better for now for him to stay in the G League. Again, he was was really ineffective and looked very lost uh, in the preseason, like when we did get to see him 
Um, he has played well in the G League, but he hasn't been like dominant. Like Christian Wood was averaging like 25 and 13 in the G League, and like that's how we knew like he was an NBA player. I just read you Sekou's stats. Um, he's he's playing well, but he's playing uh, appropriately. He's being featured uh, in the offense, uh, but he's you know he he uh, he's not you know averaging like 35 points a game or anything crazy. He's not tearing up the G League so hard that I think it it makes it. Uh, irresistible to to bring him up for in case of an injury situation and the other thing is like he he doesn't even uh in in the future you hope he can address these concerns but like right now he's still an 18 year old rookie and this team's problems are defensively and 18 year old rookies (laughs) generally don't help that and so like yes he could come up be exciting make some threes um, maybe give this team an element of transition finishing that they don't currently have right now that's not uh, aside from like blake or bruce but uh, but yeah, this, he doesn't he doesn't help you stop anyone from scoring points. So at this point, it's better to just uh, keep him in the G League and keep him uh, developing that way. And it seems to be agreeing with him for what it's worth. All right, the uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was was Blake Griffin. Um, we're we're very happy Blake is back, but we can we can definitely uh, nitpick one uh, one very visible aspect of Blake's game, and that's the turnovers. Uh, he was he was extremely winded in the uh, in the fourth quarter against Charlotte and uh, they made him ineffective down the stretch. But earlier uh, he was turning the ball over a lot. He had some very uh, casual passes on pick and rolls to Andre. Um, he's he's had one travel in the post both games he he's played. I thought that was weird. I watched all like eight of his turnovers this year or earlier today just to see like what he had been doing. Um, and you know there was a couple of very like uh, passes that he anticipated Bruce like making an inside cut, and and Bruce didn't, and so he he threw it out of bounds. There was a one. There was a the play where he uh he tried he tried to drive against Carl Anthony Towns, threw it out of bounds, trying to get it to Dre, and uh, tried to fool them on the review. <laughs> stuff just just stuff like that. It it seems like Blake is just a little bit out of sync. What have what have you been seeing from Blake so far, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think rust and fatigue are probably the two main factors. You know, when you're not used to playing with guys at NBA speed, you anticipate somebody cutting that maybe that's a cut they do in a five-on-five scrimmage in practice, but it's not there in the game, and you end up throwing it out of bounds. And then you're right, fatigue was certainly a factor um, late against Charlotte, which, you know, is to be expected. He, he plays hard when he plays, to his credit. He plays very physically. And, man, when you're at probably something like 75 to 80%, back in terms of your wind and your stamina um you know blake's blake's game is not conducive to that he he plays so hard and so physically um you know that that some of that is to be expected now that said blake's turnovers has kind of been his achilles heel offensively he does so many good things the two things he sort of does wrong when he does anything wrong is turn the ball over and maybe dribble the air out of the ball a little bit too much Uh, derrick rose kind of has that same problem the Charlotte game was equally problematic for Rose. And, and look, the reality is when it comes down to the last possession, right? When you've got a tie game with a second left on the clock, it's hard not to look at the things like the 10 turnovers between uh, Rose and Blake. And, and Drummond is, doesn't get off the hook here either. I think he had three or four. Uh, it's also easy to look at things like rebounds. I think Dre had 
20 of the team's 42 rebounds or something like that. It's those air quotes, little things that ultimately decided the game. And we can talk to death about, you know, Andre missing his rotation and giving a wide open three late. You can talk about a single turnover, you know, D Rose drives down the middle and instead of kicking it out to the top early in the drive, he gets all the way under the basket, leaves his feet and, and, you know, air mails it to the front row. Um, You know, if, if the Pistons do their job over 48 minutes, Right. If they if you eliminate three of those turnovers or if you grab four more rebounds, you know, the game doesn't come down to those ridiculous little things at the very end of the game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Blake, it's hard to be too critical of him when you miss that many games. Um, And then not only do you miss that many games, you come back for one game and then you sit and then you come back. And again, uh, it's going to be really hard for him to get in a rhythm and uh, it's going to take some time for him to get back. So. Um, you know, somehow the person have to work some around, work around some of these, you know, these turnovers that are, that he has, but look that Charlotte game in particular, like I said, you know, it, you can't single out Blake's turnovers as the reason they lost. Obviously there were so many air quotes, again, little things that they did, um, that they have been failing to do all season. I mean, Dre's been the only guy giving a crap about rebounds the entire season, right? Um, turnovers have been an up and down issue for them all season. These are things that they absolutely have to get figured out. And it's certainly bigger than Blake. Yeah. The, the stretch in which uh, Charlotte came back early in the third quarter. So the Pistons went to half up 16 and, you know, before you could blink, it was down to five point yeah, lead. Stunning. Um, there was, but it was because uh, there's a uh, was getting uh, posted up by PJ Washington. Who's the starting small or starting power forward for the uh, for the Hornets and so Bruce Hedge pred to you know take some pressure off of him Washington hits Rozier for a three you know uh, uh, Blake gets called for a travel Blake doesn't close out properly on PJ because uh, you know PJ's a rookie the scouting report isn't quite out on him yet uh, PJ hits a three Blake you know calls for a switch onto Miles Bridges but he calls it a little bit late Andre doesn't get out in time you know Miles Bridges hits a three you know Dre, uh, there's an out of bounds situation. Dre kind of telegraphs the the pass to the top of the key to Bruce. You know, Terry Rozier jumps the route, uh, finishes in transition, and it's just like those those are a series uh, to me. Like that was a a a compilation of like all the little things that you talked about that um, are why the Pistons are losing games, and and they do need to absolutely clean that up. Um, you know, Matt Moore of the uh, the Action Network, formerly of Harvard Paroxysm tweeted uh, after the Charlotte game that Detroit is dead last in the league in opponent points off turnovers per 100 possessions. That means they give up the most opponent points off turnovers per 100 possessions. Um, It's not just turnovers, but it's like live ball turnovers. It's turnovers that turn into fast break opportunities um, that are what's what's killing Detroit. Um, There's no particular reason they have to be second to last in the league in turnover percentage and give off the most points off opponent steals. Um, it's the guys that you, you want with the ball in their hands, Rose, Blake, um, and Andre just like leading you the way as the far, the turnovers go. Um, but this team's, this team's issues have been, uh, defensively have like really been highlighted in transition defense. Their transition defense has been, uh, awful ever since, ever since, uh, their transition defense has been awful for like a very long time. And, uh, so turning the ball over is just exacerbating what they're already worst at on defense. And I think that's another like little thing that they definitely need to clean up. Um, 
one of the things that I think uh, Casey said after the game, like him and Sean Sweeney are going to try some like junk defenses to try and kick th- kickstart this team, get the communication going. Um, we saw them play zone against Miami, and that had uh, some level of success. We saw them play uh, zone for a possession or two against Charlotte, and that also, uh, when used as a, as a changeup, that had like some uh, element of of success for for that team. Uh, how do you how do you like the zone so far, Ben? As, as a not necessarily as an all the time thing, but like as an occasional out of out of sideline thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason NBA teams don't play zone on the regular, and that's because at that level of basketball, zones are crazy easy to beat. And really, you don't even see it much at the college level, right? I mean, you see it sometimes where teams do it to to throw people off. But really, a a talented NBA squad is going to just shred a zone. I don't mind it as a switch, you know, as a switch of change of pace to sort of catch somebody off guard for a possession or two here and there. It's certainly not a long-term solution, though. As I mentioned, look, it, it just isn't that hard to beat his own. Um, and, and that's why everybody plays man-to-man. That's just the way you play defense at the highest levels of basketball. Um, and the reality is there's not much to like about the Pistons' defense anywhere. And, look, I'm open to some feedback from anyone and everyone who's listening, from you, from people on the blog. You know, when I'm watching the team play defense, their personnel hasn't changed dramatically enough for me to think this is a personnel issue, right? I mean – You've got most of the same guys back with a couple new additions. And then the guys who have missed a lot of time, uh, Reggie and Blake, who are holdovers from a season ago. Uh, Blake is certainly a better team defender than some of our bigs. But, you know, it's not as if anyone who's playing out on the perimeter is significantly worse than Reggie Jackson defensively. And to me, what I'm seeing is the perimeter is the problem. It's just Swiss cheese, whether it's zone or man, um, guys are beating people either off the dribble or they're getting past the pick and roll defense. And then it's a kick out and one, two, three passes. And it's, it's a wide open three, uh, the Miami game, particularly the first half of that game, it was just a clinic, right? Guys get into the middle, kick out, pass, swing the ball around, uh, wide open three after wide open three after wide open three. Um, Pistons absolutely have to figure this out. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I, like I said, I welcome feedback. Those of you guys who love to dig into the tape and do postmortems, what in the world is going on with the perimeter defense? Because to me, that's where the bulk of this team's problems are. And, you know, I just don't think a zone could maybe confuse teams when you're throwing it in here uh, every once in a while. But you, you end up with the same problems. That's get guys just getting beat off the dribble. And, and everyone as a team, as a group, being too slow to rotate and giving up wide open shots. So I don't know, Laz, what do you think about the zone? Is it a savior? Or is there is there something is there something I'm just totally missing about this defense that make it's making it be, you know, top third a season ago. They were top third in the NBA in defensive rating. This year, fourth worst in the entire NBA in defensive rating. I, I, I don't know. It's ugly. Yeah, I think I like the zone as a change of pace off the bench, especially for Thon. Um, if Thon is going to continue to get minutes, which it appears that is going to be the case, um, the things he is good at on on defense is using his length and communicating, and a zone is an excellent way to leverage those strengths. You know, you're still going to need somebody to grab some rebounds when he's in the game, and you're still going um, to need – to, that doesn't do much to stop the perimeter defense issues like you were talking about, but at the same time, like it's it's something. It's something that I think uh, you could have success with with Thon. 
Um, as far as the perimeter defense goes, I, you know, I got some theories. Uh, for Mike Snyder has been really a, a good uh, part of this. Is for uh, all the crap Reggie Jackson deservedly gets on defense. He was at least uh, a very good at being in the correct position and like unfurling his long, his super long wingspan for a guard uh, properly. Um, you know, I'm not saying Reggie, I like, I remember Reggie dying on picks just like everybody else. I'm not saying Reggie was like this amazing defender, but uh, you know, Derek Rose is getting beat off the dribble uh, consistently. Um, and I, I think that that would happen like less if with, with Reggie Jackson, not, you know, markedly like amazingly so just just less in general um luke Kennard has always been a better team defender than um than like individual defender um his his role on offense is uh is greater so that means he's playing more minutes that means he's on the court more that means he's getting targeted um teams are definitely attacking uh luke in uh in situations i think this was that was the Minnesota game where I really noticed that uh, Luke was when like Luke got cross matched with Andrew Wiggins, like Wiggins eyes were lighting up. He was like, okay, I get to, I get to take this guy. And you know, Luke is a, uh, Luke is a great offensive player, but uh, he's never been an amazing uh, defensive player. And that's part of the reason why uh, Casey was so reluctant to start him at the beginning of the year. It's just because he, he thought this strength, this team strength would, uh, this t- the starting lineup strength would need to be on defense and, and Luke, you know, wouldn't provide that. Um, you know, Markeith Morris, not an amazing team defender. And that's the guy who like was, is playing the, the Stanley Johnson Thonmaker role from last season. Um, you know, not the rebounder that uh, we it would expect him to be, um, you know, Bruce Brown's regression as a, uh, as an offensive player. Again, Bruce's uh especially with the injuries at point guard, Bruce's role offensively has increased. And so you would, you would, you're hoping to get the the same level of engagement out of him defensively that you got last year. But, you know, as he's doing more on offense, you, uh, his, his defensive uh, energy has like course money gone down. Um, you hope that, you know, he finds a way to, to bring that, that level back up to where it, it needs to be. And, you know, Casey was really on that at, at the beginning of the year, like, we are developing you offensively. We are like running you as a point guard in summer league, but like your ticket into the league is defense and it needs to, it needs to stay that way. And so you, you hope that that lesson gets imparted to re imparted to Bruce for these, these two or three practices that are, uh, that they got in between now and, uh, in their next game. So yeah, there's, there's certain things that, uh, I, I'm like, I got circling around the brain about like how the perimeter defense can get better, but, <laughs> You know the the loss of Tony Snell isn't going to help that. Um, the the elevation of Svi into more minutes is probably not going to help that. Teams are probably going to figure out pretty quickly that team, that Svi is in like in the same way that Luke is. He's not an amazing on ball defender. He can be attacked in pick and roll settings like that. That won't be great. And yeah, it's just this team's lack of uh, two way players. This team's lack of players who are good offensively and defensively is just a, a killer from from a roster construction perspective. Okay, Ben. Uh, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, was Luke Kennard. I just kind of uh, was a little harsh on him defensively, but uh, he's been really good offensively for this team this year. I don't I don't want to disparage him. I don't want to uh, say anything bad about Luke, but uh, he did kind of fade into the background against Charlotte. Um, only five shot attempts, had some foul trouble in the first half that uh, took him out of rhythm. Um, that and again we are we are forced to uh, to kind of note that you know whenever Blake plays, Luke tends to uh, you know, deprioritize himself uh, offensively. 
this is a concern. This has been a concern of ours, like dating, like all the way back to like last season. And so if, if you're Casey, how are you, especially now that like Luke has shown himself willing to be aggressive uh, as part of the offense, how are you making sure that he's consistently aggressive then? Yeah, I'm not, I'm probably not too worried about it at this point yet. I think if you look back to early in the week, Minnesota game's a good example. He, he led the team in shot attempts and minutes played with Blake Griffin on the floor. So I don't, I don't think there's anything intentional or strategic about this, right? I think this was probably a one-off, but I think your question is the right one. And that's how do you do something structurally to ensure that he doesn't just drift off into the background? Because look, the reality is, as I mentioned, they're a top 10 offense right now, which is pretty hard to believe, Um, but he's been a big part of that. I mean, he's been really the Pistons most versatile offensive threat consistently, right? Derek Rose has been uh, pretty difficult to defend when he's played, but he's not there all the time and his minutes are limited. Luke's playing 30, 35, 37 minutes a game and is constantly a guy defenses have to account for um, because of his improvement. And so Luke deserves a lot of the credit for where the Pistons are offensively. You know, I think the main thing is uh, you have to keep the ball in his hands a little bit. Obviously, when Blake Griffin is out there, when Derek Rose is out there, that's their strength as well. So uh, Casey's going to have to call some sets and call some plays that intentionally get the ball in Luke's hands. Um, I'm actually particularly excited about what he and Blake can do. Um, I mentioned this a week or two ago, and I think it was probably last week. When Blake gets back, expect to see a little bit of disruption to the offense because whenever you introduce a guy whose primary skill set is with the ball in his hands, you're going to see some of that uh, happen, and I think we did see a little bit of that this week. But to me, the flip side of that coin is Blake and Luke. Both of these guys are super high IQ basketball players on offense. They both know how to pass the ball well. They both understand positioning both for themselves and their teammates. And obviously, they can both put the ball in the basket. So I think it's a matter of Blake. There's a couple things I see. Blake adjusting to to Luke's sort of new offensive skill set that he's proved he has this year. Uh, I think it's a matter of Coach Casey being intentional about, especially with a guy like Luke, whose default is to defer to the superior talent, uh, call a handful of sets every game that are really designed to get him the shot. And then I think it's a matter of the the two of those guys, Blake and Luke, playing more minutes together, because uh, this is really a brand new thing for the both of them. This this whole Luke Kennard as a primary offensive weapon thing is a new thing, and it's going to take a little bit of time for the two of them to figure out. So those are the three things I, w- I would definitely be focused on in terms of keeping Luke engaged offensively. That's fair. I think your your original point that this was an, an aberrational thing is probably the thing that I, I agree with the most. Um, but when, when I was re-watching the game, uh, I noticed that it was – it was an aberration that had uh, a reason behind it, and it's a reason that I'm, I'm concerned about long-term. It's that, uh, so Charlotte uh, guarded, um, they had Devontae Graham and T- Terry Rozier in the backcourt, and then Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington uh, as, as the two swingmen. Um, so Luke was getting guarded by one of Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington. Now, both of those dudes are, you know, six seven, long-armed, very switchable, um, Washington is probably a better post defender at this point in time in his career. But um, we saw this also against Toronto when uh, Luke was being guarded by OG Ananobi. And so there are, if there is a, a wing defender with uh, length and strength, that is a guy who can give Luke trouble. Um, a lot of times they, they don't, you know, they don't design a lot of off ball stuff for Luke. 
um, they give him the ball in his hands and like run a, a high side pick and roll and like tell him to, to go get it. Um, if you have a guy who can recover through an Andre Drummond pick or through like a Markeith Morris slip or, or something like that, um, that kind of, that guy is going to, you know, crowd Luke, give him trouble, uh, not let him get a shot off. And Luke is uh, getting better at driving all the way to the rim, but um, a guy, a defender of that quality is also just going to give him trouble um, in terms of getting all the way to the rim and into the paint where he can make passes. And so um, I think that the uh, just being being guarded by larger wings is going to be is going to give Luke trouble. Now that's that's a problem long term for the Pistons because like I don't think Luke is going to grow another inch or so. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get any faster. Um, and so they need a they need another they need their own version of that uh, to to help shut down other teams' offensive players. And they need another uh, they need a more dynamic wing creation alongside Luke so that teams are. Uh, Teams can't, you know, focus on him all the time, and that's that kind of player is going to be tough to get. You hope you hope Seku's that person, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough for Luke to be a prime. If Luke is being treated like a primary shot creator by opposing defenses, um, and he's and if he's drawing like highly, uh, drawing a lot of defensive attention, drawing like really tough defensive assignments, there are going to be times uh, where he struggles with that. And there's going to be times where he succeeds as well. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, there's there's two things I'd like to see that I think you can do to mitigate that. The first one is, um, I think shooting guard is really his true home. I think the Pistons need to make sure that they minimize. And, and look, this is probably going to be unavoidable with Snell hurt. But you want to try to minimize how much he's playing at small forward because that's where you tend to run into the size problems more than at shooting guard. Although you'll run into him in shooting guard as well. Uh, the second thing I think, though, is you know a season ago, um, one of the things he did very well was move without the basketball. This year, with all of the injuries, um, in addition to his skill set sort of improving and expanding a little bit, by necessity, he's had the ball in his hands, right? So I think when when you get Blake Griffin fully integrated back into the system and or when he's running in the second unit with Derrick Rose, if you can utilize some of his off-the-ball movement to get him in different situations – um, I, I think that could be beneficial. And I, I look back a little bit. So this this is going to go back like a decade or more. The Pistons did this well with Rip Hamilton. So they would run him off baseline screens. And a lot of times that would turn into a 17 or 18 footer. But other times that would turn, that was sort of the setup for Rip putting the ball on the floor and, and getting uh, to, the, to the paint or uh, getting a second look as he kicks it out. And I think Luke Kennard has that ability as well. So you can run him off screens with the intention of, getting him the ball while he's on the move. And then by definition, when his defender is on the move and that might help in terms of addressing some of those uh, tough athletic matchups that he's inevitably going to face at either position. Uh, I, I agree. That's a good, that's a good coaching counter, Ben. All right, Ben. Uh, yeah, I think this was, yeah, this is after the Miami game, you tweeted, if you could trade Blake Griffin tomorrow for two above average starters, say point guard and power forward who are guaranteed to play every remaining game over the next two seasons, would you do it? So Ben, you, you want to trade Blake Griffin? What's, what's up? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, really this was more of a, like a thought experiment slash conversation starter. Obviously you can't guarantee anybody's health at in any situation. So it's obviously a hypothetical situation, but yeah, I mean, I was super surprised. I received, I think only maybe two or three people who were dead set against that. Almost everybody else was, yeah, I would do that. And then, shockingly a lot of people were like emphatically 
pro that idea. I was not expecting that at all. Um, but no, I mean, I'm not actively looking to trade Blake Griffin. I was just interested in the thought because what I was thinking about was, look, how much has this team struggled as a direct result of injuries? And looking forward, as much money as you have invested in Blake Griffin, um, it's going to be really hard to win if he's only playing, you know, 50 to 60 games at full strength. And look, the reality is we might only get 50 games out of Blake Griffin at full strength this season. And and that's kind of a scary thought. So, yeah, I mean, I was just sort of thinking hypothetically, would this year's team be better if you had just two basically league average starters who would play 82 games as opposed to, you know, 50 games of a, a healthy Blake Griffin? Um, at the time when I said it, it was just sort of, hey, here's an idea. Let's talk about it. I thought about it a lot since. Um, and I think I can be persuaded that either direction is realistic. Um, as I mentioned, I think if, as much money as you have tied up in Blake Griffin, if you're only going to get 50 to 60 games out of him moving forward, and there's no way to predict that. But if you are, uh, you're going to be in a really tough spot um, because you're not going to have the resources to do a whole lot in terms of adding to the roster. And we've seen so far that the guys we do have currently don't have enough to get it done, right? This isn't a winning team without Blake Griffin on the floor. That's certainly the case. So um, thinking back to sort of how we started the podcast, Laz, if, if 10 games from now, the Pistons are six games under 500, for example, right? I think I start to lean more towards this code Brown scenario that maybe we've just got a failed experiment and and we've got to do something pretty significant to be competitive over the long term. To me, you don't do, you don't, you don't get competitive again without addressing sort of your two biggest contracts. And that's Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. Personally, I land on the side of keeping Andre Drummond because you've got probably another six to eight years of productivity out of him as a big man and you've seen remarkable durability he's been just a a monster in terms of his health in terms of the number of minutes he can play and all of those sorts of things whereas with Blake you've probably got you know this season and two more seasons of productive offensive player and then father time's undefeated Um, Blake Griffin's not going to be around forever Um, so if you end up in that situation where, Hey, it's time to think about a rebuild to me, Blake is the guy that you end up trying to trade. And given the way today's NBA works, the way it devalues big men and prioritizes, uh, spacing and shooting and all of those other things, neither of those guys is going to get you a big haul. But if you could get two starters for him who are like league average at their positions, I think you still have something competitive to work with in addition to the flexibility moving forward. So this is not a trade Blake Griffin podcast. Just want to make that clear. Very clear. I've been a big fan of Blake Griffin since he's become a Piston. But uh, 10 or 15 games from now, man, if if we haven't figured out this this defense, if we haven't figured out how to win games, um, I'm going to be – I might be saying, hey, we need to think about trading Blake Griffin. Let's put it that way. That's totally fair. I feel like – this is a this is a really inconveniently timed contract year for Andre Drummond, oh. because uh, the if you want to if you want to trade Blake Griffin, if you're like, hey, we we can't we can neither surround Blake Griffin with a team that's capable of making a deep playoff run, uh, nor can we like rely on Blake Griffin to play sixty five plus games a year. Um, what what can we get for him? 
you know, there are not necessarily the things that you, you could get for for Blake in trade probably make uh, Andre more valuable. And so you end up having to pay him. Um, and that's not necessarily something I'm interested in long term. I've I, w- I want to keep Andre, but I've never said Andre has uh, deserved a max, even even at you know the first six or so games of this year when he was playing really well. I, I didn't think he was uh, uh, still worthy of a of his full max, just because you know it's really hard to give that kind of money to a center who can't create his own offense. Um, so I think if you if you are considering trading Blake, um, Andre Drummond's free agency also means you should heavily consider trading him. And if you trade, if you you know consider all those, go through with both of those trades. At that point, it uh, you know return is variable. It doesn't you know you don't know exactly what you get for those guys in trade. But it to me, if if you're trading two all star type players, like you you are now rebuilding. Like that is what that is the feeling I I, I get from this team. You know this team is not this team is purport or uh, positioned not necessarily that terribly for a rebuild. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson is uh, an expiring contract. Langston Galloway is an expiring contract. If you trade Andre Drummond, um, depending on what, what you get back for him, uh, maybe you get some more expiring contract money. Um, you get to you get to build around. Um, you, ha- you have the cap space to uh, do the thing where you absorb other teams' bad money in compensation for draft picks. Um, this team has young players that I am excited about, and I think could be uh, elements in a future iteration of the Pistons. They've got a Bruce Brown. They've got a Luke Kennard. They've got a, a Sekou Dumboya. They've got even even a guy like a, a Svi Mikhailuk, I think, uh, like has a role on a uh, re- a team that has regular season success and playoff success, uh, you know, two, three years down the line from now. But um, but because of uh, because I stand in uh, alignment with ownership about the uh, – Hmm. I don't. I don't want to say like the morality, but uh, but the uh, what a, what a tank or like what a rebuilding phase can like mean for a team and, and for a city. Um, I, I don't think that's what happens. I think it's more likely that they try and trade. You know, the expiring contract of Reggie Jackson and um, and some other stuff for a player that can help them out uh, immediately. Um, you know, looking at the standings, the the New Orleans Pelicans are not doing great. And that is a team that's also, you know, positioned themselves really well for a rebuild. But Drew Holiday is like not on that timeline. It's like, could you, could you maybe uh, pry Drew f- free from uh, from New Orleans? Like maybe. Like that is a guy I would be interested in. Um, there, there are other types of players out there that I think that you could you could obtain without necessarily having to sacrifice draft capital, which is the other big thing that this team like should not do. You shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't let go of future flexibility uh for for even for present success because uh you know no matter what no matter what kind of present success you you get right now out of this team even if you make the playoffs you advance around like that you're, you're not going to win a championship with this team and so it's not worth trading the the, the future draft picks just to uh secure a, a second round exit now you know ownership could disagree with me on on that front maybe the front office disagrees on, on that front but uh but yeah, that's that's where I'm at. If you if you trade Blake, you should if you trade Blake, you should trade Dre. If you trade both those guys, you are rebuilding. And it does not seem like ownership wants to rebuild. And so we'll we'll see how this goes. I I think it's more likely that they uh 
turn themselves into a uh, slightly below league average defense and uh, and stop turning the ball over at a like, like at a league worst rate and that results in uh, slightly more regular season success uh, in the not too distant future then I think that it's necessary to that, that I think it's likely that they'll uh, actually like go through with trading Blake Griffin yeah and for, for the record like I 100% agree with you I absolutely yeah. think that's what they should do yeah, I don't. I don't think the front office, um, after seeing what Blake meant to this team last year, and like what what he was able to do for them from like a marketing perspective, and you know making the playoffs, how how important we know that that is to them. I, I really don't see how how they let Blake go. All right, Ben. Uh, this week has the uh, potential to be equally rough for the Pistons. They go. Uh, at, they go to the uh, Chicago Bulls on Wednesday. I think they play the, a home game against uh, Atlanta on Friday, and then they have uh, they play at Milwaukee on Saturday. Another back to back joy. Uh, ben, what? Uh, how many games did the Pistons win this week? <laughs> Man, they could very easily lose all three of those games, and they could very yeah. easily just get wrecked by Milwaukee. Um, but they, like you said last, they don't play till Wednesday, right? So they still got um, – they had a practice today, presumably, of some sort. They're going to have two more practices before they have to play again. I'm going to hope that they figured out some of this perimeter defense, and I'm going to hope that they figured out some of their off-the-ball rotations because some of this is solvable um, with scheme and with strategy, not just personnel. Um, so I'm going to hope that they're going to win one of those two games against Chicago or Atlanta – and basically right off the Milwaukee game, expect Blake Griffin to wreck, uh, to rest and, and have Giannis just dunk all over everybody. So I'm going to hope for one and two. I wonder if with the back-to-back, it would be more effective to play Blake against Atlanta or, or uh, because Atlanta is without John Collins and kind of scuffling right now. Uh, Trey Young is having an amazing individual season, but the team is not finding a lot of success. I wonder if they would... Uh, preserve Blake and not play him against Atlanta and try and uh, sneak a win against Milwaukee. But I don't know how smart that would be or how interested they are in doing that. But that that seems interesting to me at the very least. But yeah, I think to agree, I agree with you. I think they should win one game this week. Um, they should have won the Chicago game the last time they played. Uh, Chicago just lost to the Kyrie Irvingless Nets. Uh, whether or not you think Kyrie Irving not playing for the Nets makes them better or not probably depends on whether or not you live in Boston. But uh, but yeah, I, I think this team can absolutely uh, win at least one game this week. Uh, <laughs> Boy, we have really scraped the bottom of the barrel in terms of optimism, Wes. <laughs> we can yeah. at least win one. <laughs> Code yellow. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, you know Now I will, I will give you the floor. Uh, tell me your thoughts about uh, the Michigan-Michigan State game that occurred this past Saturday. Oh, man. You know what, Last To be perfectly honest with you, um, I was watching with one eye because it was my daughter's birthday and we were celebrating. Um, so I, I watched one eye most of the first half, watched almost all of the third quarter, and by then the game was you know, pretty much decided, so I didn't pay too much attention in the fourth quarter. But I have to be honest with you, I was super nervous coming into this game. Um, I have not been a believer in this Michigan Wolverines team this whole season. Um, but the last three or four weeks, they've been uh, they've been doing some things, and uh, I, I've got a lot of respect for where this team has has wound up after what was a pretty pretty 
gross first three weeks of the season. And look, I'm not going to kick Sparty while he's down. This is a rough, this is a rough year for the Spartans, and I I don't wish any of my Spartan friends ill will. So, you know, this is a good win for for the Wolverines. The only thing that matters to me the rest of the season is giving Ohio State a fight because the Pistons have to get back in the, the Pistons. Jeez, the Wolverines <laughs> have to get back into that rivalry. And look, Sparty's going to be back. Um, they've got a they've got a fantastic coaching staff. This is a down season. Uh, they're going to be back, and we're going to have more exciting rivalry games to talk about in the future. I think. I appreciate you not kicking me while I was down. That means that means a lot to me, Ben. But yeah, that was that was a rough uh, experience. I don't know. Uh, that was a failure on a coaching level. That was a failure on a talent level, which is really something that was surprising to me and something you wouldn't have said coming into the year. Um, but yeah, this team this team uh, has some definite rebuilding to do. Uh, it seems like. All of the teams I root for are, are headed for a rebuilding year, which uh, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes so far. All right, Ben, uh, give the people your social media. Let them know where they can see all those pictures of uh, Iris at the birthday party. Yeah, at BR Golker, my Instagram flows through to Twitter, so that's the best place. Uh, that dad life was real this week, and I can't believe it's been three years. <laughs> Um, yeah, those uh, those idyllic pictures in the in the fall snow and, oh, yeah. and the fall leaves and everything. Oh, yeah. Great. And I got my uh, got my son this week his first first Detroit Pistons uh, winter jacket, and it is vintage. It is vintage teal. So expect some pictures on Twitter of that coming this week. Oh man, Team Teal, getting them young. I like it. <laughs> and of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, you, I, I can throw some pictures of my dog. My dog was, uh, <laughs> he was, he's pretty mad that, um, he couldn't go with us to our, our friends giving party we went to this weekend. But, uh, other than that, uh, and he's, he's got a Pistons, um, collar, like Pistons, like collar bib thing that my mom got for him. So, you know, he'll, he'll rock a little Pistons gear, uh, as well. If, uh, if I remember to put that up on the on social media. <laughs> But yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, As always, uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you next week.